Listener Production. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. This audio edition is created in conjunction with partners as part of our Market Voice series. Netflix and the streaming video on demand crowd, known in short as SVOD, was supposed to punch and crunch TV advertising as we know it. But there's something quite peculiar going on around the world right now. Advertising video on demand, or AVOD, is booming. Mark Kainer, the former global boss of 20th Century Fox's TV distribution unit, now a Foxtel board director and an advisor to Lachlan Murdoch, says there are at least 68 AVOD operators around the world at the moment. And if the US is any indicator, they're going to grow fast. Netflix took a 5% hit to its share price recently after announcing lower than forecast subscriber growth. And Disney said in March that advertising revenues at units like Hulu, ABC.com, and the rest of its direct-to-consumer businesses jumped 47% to about $880 million in the previous quarter, just $100 million off its linear TV revenues, which lifted about 5%. Mark Kainer says there's more of these sorts of trends to come as ad-funded streaming muscles up on those SVOD imposters. It's pretty good news for marketers and advertisers, given they were to face a smaller universe of potential consumer targets locked behind ad-free SVOD walls. Although the early signs are that brands will face a shake-up in how they do advertising and, and ad loads. But what the hell is going on with viewers and their return to ad-supported TV via new on-demand streaming platforms? We're about to find out. Joining Mark Kainer to unpack this global and coming Australian AVOD boom and what it means for brands and advertising is Foxtel Media CEO Mark Frayne. Welcome to you both. This is a pretty hot area, right, uh, to get a fix on. Mark Kainer, really interested in your thoughts, the bigger picture globally first. Something's gone awry, right? The experts predicted Netflix and the SVOD club were supposed to really mess with ad-supported TV, but the opposite is happening globally by the looks of it. Explain this viewer conundrum to us, Mark, and and, uh, for those of us less learned, um, give us the sense. But there's a big picture too. So give us your big picture and what's going on with and welcome. Thank you. Um, So I think we'll just back up a second. In terms of the big picture, I think the first thing that uh, you need to remember is that the world is moving and to a great degree has already moved uh, to an on-demand universe. So we're no longer just uh, in the linear universe where your programming is uh, scheduled for you and and so on. So on-demand is what it's all about. That's what Wall Street and the United States uh, has uh, believed in and why they've given so much uh, love to Netflix and some other big SVOD players. Uh, That's the main thing that I think uh, is really changing our our business and and the media universe. But the other really important follow-up to that is that SVOD and AVOD are really what was classic pay television and classic free or broadcast television. So what you're seeing are these businesses morphing over into it. Every broadcaster ultimately around the world is going to wind up having an on-demand option of some sort. And that's just because that's what is now available to the consumer and the consumer wants it. And that's what, in the old days, that's why pay television took off because you gave consumer choice. 
And so, so with Netflix, they came in and they started out, you know, delivering little DVDs and little red uh, envelopes around right. the United States. And they gave people choice in terms of how they could consume things. They didn't necessarily have to go to a video store. They didn't have to necessarily go to the cinema or whatever. Again, it's choice. And it's really what this is all about. Having said that, the one thing that is key to all of those businesses is content, programming. And programming has not gone anywhere except for up in expense. It's also, by the way, gone up in variety and quality. And I mean, there's still a lot of crap being produced, but there is a lot of fantastic programming across all kinds of genres. And the SVOD business was the one originally who jumped into that and gave you greater choice. But if you think about it, prior to that, that's what cable television in the United States did around broadcast television. All of this to some degree is a natural evolution based on increasing amounts of really good technology and some very, very smart people uh, in terms of how you came in. And Netflix is a is basically a tech company that got into the content business. And they're spending, what is it now, Mark? They're spending something like, was it 16, 17 billion you said on content for the next 12 months? Is it something massive like that? That's what they're saying that they're going to do someplace between 16 or $18 billion. That's a lot of money. That is. And content is uh, increasingly expensive. Disney said they were going to uh, throughout their their universe, Disney Plus, Hulu, and uh, ESPN, and original programming and everything, they said they were going to spend around twelve to fourteen billion dollars. In, in summary, what you're saying there, it's a very interesting uh, observation. You know, you basically, SVOD is going to replace pay TV as we know it, and AVOD is it will replace uh, linear TV. That's the sort of the big sna- the macro of what's going on. Is that have I simplified it too much? No, no. I think that that I think you you can simplify it down to that. That's what's going to happen when you take that in conjunction with the fact that we're moving to an on-demand universe because mm-hmm. that's, the technology will allow us to do that. The other really interesting thing, and, and for a lot of you, your listeners, is that technology is also really uh, going to continue to help the advertising business because it will allow of people to go in and really target their audience in a way that they've never been able to do before, you know, and it will get better and better and more precise. And that will lead to greater opportunities on advertising, as long as the advertisers don't do what they did in broadcast television in in many parts of the world, which was to get a little bit too fat and happy and lazy and just make endlessly bad commercials with a really heavy load and just lay it on because consumers ultimately got sick of that. And as soon as there was an alternative, and SVOD was that first big alternative after premium pay television, people jumped on it because they were sick of all those ads. Listen, I want to just get back to, um, it's, it's really interesting what you're talking about, the SVOD, AVOD uh, scenario. But, you know, with AVOD replacing linear at some point, now I'd, I'll, I'll probably try, I want to get to your Hollywood views as well on stu- on studios and content, but we'll try for that a bit later. But in terms of AVOD, Mark, um, it, it kind of wasn't supposed to happen that advertising was going to repla- was going to live like it, like, as strong and, and prosperous as what appears to be going on. In the US, Mark, who is leading the charge on the AVOD front? What are you seeing in terms of the operators and players? 
You know, I the, the there are we have lots of different big players, but Peacock is uh, the NBC uh, NBCU uh, company um, owned by Comcast. They're a great big player and uh, a r relatively recent um, entrant. Um, uh, the um, Viacom um, CBS had Pluto. It started out. Um, as CBS All Access, which was a stupid name. And um, they then, and then there was a, a, a guy over there who started Pluto. And Pluto's been quite uh, aggressive. And they've been quite aggressive internationally too, particularly in Latin America and uh, about a half a dozen countries uh, in Europe. And then Tubi um, was a company uh, that actually Fox Entertainment bought that. Uh, the uh, the Murdochs bought, and they're doing quite well uh, too. They they're all a bit different, um, and uh, there are there are other services as well. But those are probably the big three at the moment. But there's more coming on board. And the other thing is is that the uh, with the exception of Netflix, who uh, has gone out and said they will not do any sort of ad supported model, all of the other big players. Um, are already doing it. Hulu started it quite some time ago, and they've been very successful. Well, just tell us the Hulu story because it's probably uh, it's probably a good signal for what we we might see here. Hulu, obviously, as you, as you say, I mean, it was a it, there was an expectation that the subscription video on demand service, where they had no ads, would take off and the ad service would sort of hang on the vine a little bit. That didn't happen, did it, Mark? No, you know, it was interesting, and, and uh, you know, one the real quiet. Uh, force between, be, behind Hulu at the beginning was a News Corp 21CF guy who's Rupert's number two named Peter Chernin. Right. Peter, who now has a huge entertainment company himself, um, was the one really pushing uh, those of us out there on Hulu as he, he was uh, prescient in looking at it as a big part of the future. And so um, we started that all together, and it was a big thing that uh, they were going out, and you could, you know, pay for your service ad free, and and all of that. And then they decided that they were going to, they needed that additional revenue stream, which we can talk about later, because I do believe that this business needs dual revenue streams. Um, but they decided that they were going to go ahead and offer an ad-supported model in addition to their pay model. And there was an expectation um, by most of the people that were doing it that there was going to be a huge shift and that uh, there was going to be a, you know, this migration and that people would, would, not, uh, would not pay for the product. And in fact, that didn't happen. Um, there was a, at the beginning, I don't know what it is today because I'm not involved with them anymore, but at the, but at the beginning, there was about, we expected about 70% of them to make the shift, and they did not. But what was most interesting was that the complaints that people had about commercials and commercial interruption and everything dropped by about 75%. And the reason as we explored that more and more and did surveys with the consumer was that we gave them a choice. And I don't think we should ever, you know, forget about how important it is to give the consumer a choice. And there can be lots of different choices. You can have a pre-roll, you can have a mid-roll, you can have a sponsorship. You know, people 
are not going to put up with, you know, 16 minutes per commercial hour, you know, of, of advertising. And you don't need it anymore with the technology. But choice is a really important thing. And choice can happen in both AVOD and SVOD. And it is. It's exactly what's going on. Now, just um, before we get to Mark Frayn, I just wanted to get your sense, though, uh, on the U.S. market, uh, Mark, particularly around what you just talked about, advertising, advertising loads, ad formats. Um, there's crazy stuff to your point. There's some crazy stuff the networks in the US were doing up to you know 14, 18 minutes, or whatever, or some 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 big minutage, right? Uh, an hour of ads that is um, <clears throat> that was supposed to be crimped. What are the early signals now you're seeing in the U- from the US platforms on this around advertising? What's right? What's the right volumes? What's the sort of formats? Is there anything that's promising? Uh, that early for the Australian market to look at and go, that's where we're headed. What are you seeing on that front? So on the on the U.S. side, there's there's a lot of experimentation going on, and um, they have gone, you know, from 30s to 15 second ads and so on. And then there have been some even shorter, just 10 second ads and eight second ads and so on, just getting the brand out there. Mm-hmm. And so they they've had some success in in doing that. But possibly the most interesting thing I've heard in the last four months was when the Fox Entertainment guy named Steve Tomczyk, who, by the way, is an Aussie. It's got to be all right then. He said on the earnings call about uh, three quarters ago uh, that they, as they're looking at it, they expect that the AVOD from Tubi will match and surpass the um, the advertising revenue out of the traditional broadcast Fox Broadcasting Network. That's a big call, yeah. That's a huge thing. And so people are not so stuck. And the advertising community, which, you know, I always thought when I started out in the business 100 years ago, they were always the smartest people. And then, as I said, I think they all got a bit lazy and... Uh, and weren't so smart about it, and now they're getting smart again. They're looking at different ways, and they've got the tools more than they ever have before in order to target and and go after the consumer and sell them something properly and not annoy the consumer uh, at the same time. Mark Frayne, what's your sense on the Australian market versus the global picture that uh, has been painted by Mark Kainer around consumer demand for AVOD? Um, Are we going to follow? Are we going to do the same thing? I think there's there's no doubt we're going to end up um, following. I think we've seen the the choice of platform and the choice of content is there for, for customers. But what we haven't seen yet is the fundamental change to the commercialization of that model. Um, as Mark kind of called out, the content isn't getting any cheaper, but mm-hmm. the dual revenue stream to fund it will end up coming to these shores pretty quickly. It, it, it has to. Um, I mean, Mark touched on some of the, um, the Hulus and um, Plutos and other AVOD players in the US where now over 70% of their subscribers are seeing ads as part of their subscription. Uh-huh. You got you got the reverse. You got the complete reverse in this market where you're looking at 80-20, 90-10 ratio. So I think we're mm. we're definitely going to see we're definitely going to see, see it shift. And you called out at the at the start of the podcast that advertisers are big. How, how do we reach that Netflix audience? How do we capture that audience that's kind of pulling consumption away from linear viewing? You're going to see it through the the A-board iteration we're going to get in the Australian market. 
Mark Frame, what are some of the? I think you've got some numbers on um, on the the US numbers on audiences. Um, they're quite substantial, right? Even on the on the Avod services. Uh, what's what are we looking at in terms of viewership? Yeah, viewing numbers. What what we're starting to see on on Tubi um, as, as examples, which you represent in Australia, right? You've got Tubi here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, and we'll, we'll get back to that as a, an interesting kind of mm. journey. But you're starting to see some of the consumption of these Avod platforms rival some of the big network audiences which going back to Mark Kaner's point so you wouldn't have dreamed of that in the future um, no. and I think what is really surprising is is some of that kind of content that would be showcase shiny floor case tentpole programming is going on to these AVOG platforms and having a, a second or third life with significant right. audience and what's coming with that is the new monetization model so yeah it's changing that that kind of quickly i'm going to get to you the ad for ad formats in a, in a sec but mark Kaner, um it just reminded me a lot of the consumption on some of these avod platforms is back catalog it's not the netflix original you know come and sign up and get the new show it's actually back catalog still is that right not only is it still it, it's almost exclusively back catalog um and and what they have done is they you know if you talk about the, you know, if you were classifying it in an ABC uh, sort of way, you know, the Netflix and the big broadcasters and so on are spending huge dollars and trying to have really A, A plus, you know, B plus product and so on. Whereas the, the uh, AVOD services have gone and bought really old you know, sort of what we would kind of consider C-level product, but there's a huge audience for it. And there was a lot of great programming that was produced, produced in significant volume. Um, and so people can tune in and, and they're discovering a whole new audience as well. You know, right. there's a lot of kids that never saw, you know, some of these older shows. Well, we talked about it earlier, right? My 19-year-old at universities watched the, the, the entire uh, series of Friends three times. That's a bit scary. Yeah, well, there you go. So, you know, these are um, the, these kinds of programming um, choices are really interesting and people are consuming programming in so many different ways from the big screen down to their phone you know my my son he, he um, would sit there's a, in in our kitchen there's a, you know I'm in television business in the in the media business there's a great big television set in my kitchen he sits at the kitchen table looking at his phone you know where he could and and he could you know cast it up onto the thing, but he just kind of looks there and sees it, and he's watching a lot of programming that I would never watch. He watched a lot of YouTube stuff and and so on, but he's also interested in some of the bigger, um, uh, very expensive things as well. So again, it's that choice. But the um, the Avod services here and around the world are making their money off of back catalog. Is that the same for Tubi here, Mark Frayne? What what is what is the the lineup here in uh in, in Australia for your content, and where's it going? Yeah, no, you're 100 right. It's definitely the second, third tier kind of content, but it, it does prove the fact that the there is always different content for the right kind of consumer. So we're certainly not seeing the premium top tier stuff through Tubi in this market, but it's resonating and and reaching reaching an audience that's okay with a value equation i mean they're okay mm. with a free service and still what it's still premium content um mm. it's just not the newest stuff straight off the shelf and being able to 
link that straight to monetization starts to complete that circle. Um, Mark, Mark talked earlier, content's getting no cheaper. And the more revenue that come through the Tubi platforms, the better the content rights that they'll be able to buy and the better the customer experience becomes. So you're seeing this kind of world going back to funding the content, buying better rights, just continuing. And that's why these Avor players will get stronger and stronger and stronger. So the content will shift from sort of like a Mark Kane of vintage style content um, uh, heritage then, will it? I think I think it has to, Paul. I mean, the, the, the content that is being invested in, um, I mean, Mark touched on the, the billion dollars that some of those global behemoths are investing in kind of content. Now, whilst in the inception, these Avor players won't have those vast sums of money, they're going to be rapidly playing catch up to improve their own library. I mean, they improve their own library, they improve the amount of viewing minutes kind of consumed, and they improve the advertising returns they get, which they reinvest back in to make the platform even better. So you're going to see them become um, second, third tier, and probably start taking off probably maybe content rights that historically you'd never thought they would actually compete for, but they will be able to, no doubt about it. I mean, fascinating. And they'll also get into their, ultimately they will start doing original content themselves. Yeah, You right. know, it's that evolution of things. And, you know, you talked about your son with Friends. Look at the success that Foxtel had with the Friends reunion. That particular show is a massive success all over the world. Mark Frayn, in terms of what uh, you, Mark Kainer was talking about with uh, different ad loads, different formats, I know you're not a fan of, uh, of, of a term that I call advertising tolerance, but what does, it, what does next look like for brands, ads and AVOD in Australia? What's, what are you seeing? Yeah, I, it is fascinating. I mean, before um, Fox um, acquired Tubi in the US, we, we'd started that conversation with Tubi to represent them here locally. Right. And the reason why we did that, what intrigued us about that model was they were starting with lower ad loads from inception. And if I think back to like almost the start of Foxtel, Foxtel had pretty much advertising from the start. It was a dual revenue stream from the start, subscription revenue and ad revenue together. And over time, what we became very cognizant of was maintaining that value equation for the customer and the balance between ad load and those paying subscribers. So never really reaching um, ad loads in excess of six, seven minutes an hour, which would always be half that of a free-to-air broadcaster or a main broadcast network, similar to what you see in the US. So right. that was always the always the starting point, lower ad loads than, I suppose, the free benchmark. And what we're starting to see um, now is, I mean, Tubi locally runs three to six minutes um, an hour in terms of um, ad load and probably one pre-roll on a lot of their VOD content. And quite often then don't interrupt that piece of content, particularly when it's 30 minutes of length. There might be one or two pre-rolls then as the... Um, as the consumer, you're there to enjoy your kind of content. So um, ad load number one, and uh, I don't dislike your, your word kind of tolerance. I think it's just that level of acceptability and, and the value equation between the viewing consumer and the ad dollar kind of coming through. So You prefer engagement though, don't you? Sort of swapping out tolerance for enga advertising engagement is a better way that you want to look at it? Yeah, and the reason why I say that kind of quite confidently is the next part of what we've been looking at is the ad structure. So you've got the ad load, 
and then you've got the structure ads and Mark touched on it, whether it's 60s, 30s, a blend of 15, some six second ads thrown in there. What we've seen is just as important of ad load is the actual structure. And if you mix up some of those ad breaks where you've got a 30 and two six second ads from a um, viewing customer, that's a pretty engaging experience. You're not, all right, I've just seen two pre-rolls and you're sitting there waiting for the next 30 or the next 60 to come. I think the constant flexibility of those ad structures is vitally important. And when we, we trialed six second ads uh, now a couple of years ago on the Foxtel Linear platform, and we did some research on that. And by mixing in 60s, um, mixing six second ads with 15s and 30, the overall engagement of the content went up and brand yeah. recall for the ads went up. We didn't actually decrease the ad load at all. We just made it different across that 30 minute or hour slot. So I think innovation within the, the ad structure is going to be um, vitally important. Are, are advertisers and agencies up for that, Mark? We talk a lot about innovation, but sometimes the reality on the ground can be a little different. You're right. I think when we when we launched um, the six second ads, and this is it's common practice, um, you launch innovation and you often get asked by the market for the case study. It's kind of it's part of the problem. <laughs> yeah. But that was 18 months, two years ago. Now, um, demand is outstripping um, the supply we got for six second ads. So no. I think that the agency market and the ad market has bought into the success of that through the results and through the engagement scores we've seen with um, with those six second inclusions. So yeah, I think we're now at a point where um, that pendulum has swung. I think both agencies and advertisers recognize that they want to be involved where the ad experience as, is at its best. And that's when the content experience is at its best. And if they're in that intersection, in that sweet spot, doing it differently, their own brand benefits go up significantly. I think you talk about a, a little case study looking at ad loads on, on linear with a competitor. The numbers there were quite, the, the, you can see why there's sort of viewer pushback on when, when ads get too high. Can you talk through that or is that sort of proprietary research you're keeping to yourself, Mark Frayne? No, I'm, I'm happy to talk about it. I, I think for, from our perspective, we've always got a differentiate our sales versus the competition. Like we're, we're a different model. Like we were subscription first and advertising second. As I said earlier, I think the the advertising proposition is, is raising its stakes next to subscription because of the new world we're operating in. But we've always got to make sure that we're running different ad loads, different ad structures to competitors because we're a different model. So I don't think there's any hiding away from, from that. Uh, and yeah, as you rightly point out, the results that we see with kind of half the ad load, there is significantly better recall um, and engagement. And that's kind of common sense. If you're a viewing customer, you know what your own tolerances are for ad load. And maybe this is why the dual revenue stream that that Mark Kainer talks about is important because I don't, can you get the pricing? Can you get the yields that you need to do it? Is this why a combination as an ad, AVOD pure play as part of a portfolio group, I get it. Can you self-fund just out of advertising? I think if you do it smartly enough, I think you can. Um, I, I think there's, there's many different models to the ad funded um, structures. Like we, we've talked about pure ad load, we've talked about ad structure. I mean, the interesting thing that's also happening, and there's no, no doubt Mark's statement about everything is heading to on demand or already on demand. There's still a lot of linear channels out there, but they're being redefined at the same time and they're providing customers with a choice. So you've got a lot of live linear channels 
that are there um, for customers to pick and choose and browse. But they're not the traditional channels you used to see with kind of news in the morning rolling into daytime television, into a news at six o'clock, into a movie or a primetime show. They're a linear channel that might be 24-7 Kardashians. Right. So I think we're seeing the evolution of channels at the same time. So therefore, the combination of channels and the combination of different ad-loads and different structures with VOD, you can definitely win with ad- advertising alone. What, what have you been seeing in, uh, across the Foxtel media platform, uh, Mark Frayne, on uh, how brands have been experimenting? What have they been doing? What have they been playing with? You've got a few different formats. You talked about some six seconds, but you've sort of got Q and you've got um, sort of pop-up channels and all sorts of um, interesting things going on. Yeah, you mentioned the Q breaks, so six-second ads. Um, M breaks next, which are imaginatively uh, minute breaks. Um, so... I'm not head of the creative department at Foxtel Media, but... It shows. Yeah, thanks. <laughs> those continue, continuation of flexibility on those structures within the ads is kind of key. Pop-up channels you mentioned, um, whether it be Kardashians, whether it be selling houses, whether it be grand designs, just as we're releasing new series of um, premium con- con- content, the opportunity to bring back the previous six or seven series as a lead-up to the launch and actually create that as a dedicated pop-up channel it is resonating. I mean, you've got um, you've got customers now, um, lockdown kind of driving it, no doubt, but going back watching, whether it's Game of Thrones, whether it's right. all of Wentworth, to whether it's Friends like your son, people are going back way back and starting yeah. the journey of kind of what you describe as old content, but really kind of premium top-end kind of content. So to, to wrap this stuff up, I just want to sort of get from both of you uh, sort of the, sort of maybe two or three big watch-outs for, for the next year, particularly um, around brands and agencies, but Mark Kainer, the bigger picture for, for media owners and, and uh, what's going on globally in media. So I might start with you, Mark Kainer, in terms of, you know, two or three big things to watch out for in the next 12 months, and maybe you can drop in some stuff there about what's going on with Hollywood because they've sort of got some pressure on them too right so i think that what you are you're already seeing it you're going to see this movement to the dual revenue stream with all of these companies so everybody with the exception right now in in hollywood with the exception of sony all of the other media companies have their own streaming service of some sort, whether it's ad-supported, whether it's non-ad-supported, whether it's a combination. I mean, HBO Max, the Warner uh, Media mm. Company, came in. That you know, HBO is a fantastic brand all over the world, and has made incredible programming. And they came in and and they were putting their service out there. In very short order, they said, by the way, we're going to have a little ad-supported model as well so that other people can, um, if they so choose, they can they can afford it because their, their, the cost of renting it um, was quite high compared to what Netflix was originally. So right. I think you're going to see more and more of that. And whenever any company announces that they'll never do something you can be assured that they will do it later on. Mm-hmm. Netflix said that they won't ever do an ad-supported model. I believe they will. They don't have to at the moment because they have almost 200 million subscribers, but they will because their their growth in the United States has slowed because there's a lot more competition. So you're seeing all of this content growing in different ways. And 
and the offers are also growing. So originally the asphalt services were the ones investing in really big tentpole, high-end, very expensive uh, drama with motion picture stars and so on. All of those services are also now moving into additional genres as well. Netflix has announced that it's going to do a gaming area and, and so on. So all of these um, companies are looking for a broad audience because they need those numbers in order to make it work. And if you are talking about the really big talent that's playing in some of these things here in the United States, you know, these um, uh, big stars are making at the lower end $300,000 US dollars an episode, and some of them are making as much as a million. That's a lot of money. Mm. And so they've got to find a way to catch up. So all you're going to see content being produced in various forms across um, the genre, uh, across both of the businesses, both the ad-supported and the pay, pay model, SVOD and AVOD. And, you know, it's interesting on the, the motion picture side of our business has had a real shock to it um, in the United States and around the world. Part of the reason for that is that they refused to see the world changing and they were a little bit silly on on, on not giving up their their 90-day windows and so on. All of that is shifting, but I don't think that will completely go away either. Uh, I think that, you know, the, the young man who wants to take his girlfriend out on a date, you know, going to a movie is still going to be a really good thing, and people want to see those big screen things. I, I would, you know, I don't want to see a tentpole Marvel mo um, movie on my phone. I want to go and have that communal experience with all the bells and whistles. All of that stuff is shifting, but it's shifting in a way where it has to be, there has to be an economic model to make it work. All these, the big companies that are investing all this money, they're not making a lot of money yet. So they're going to have to find a way to do it. And I see it as a big opportunity for advertisers um, going forward, as long as they're smart about it and use the technology appropriately and judiciously and, and cleverly. And you're gonna to have to take some risks. I mean, the success of, uh, of Foxtel and all of the Fox companies is based on taking a risk. I'm just really interested to capture your final thoughts on on uh, with how, with the studios going day and date, particularly through COVID, on to some of the streaming platforms. Mark, um, there's been a, a, an associated return of piracy uh, as a result of it because it's easier to record from a from a screen than to get it from uh, from the big screen in, in the cinema. Is that a blip, or do you think that's a a, a perpetual risk now? No, I think I think the risk of piracy is always is always there. And you can argue that back and forth with, you know, w were they stealing, you know, uh, less when they were, when the things were in cinemas and, and so on. There was a lot of theft going on. We stopped at Fox years ago, um, putting in, when, in, in producing stuff in Rough Cut, we stopped, we stopped putting it on DVD for the creative people to look at it. I had to be the one to tell Rupert Murdoch, I couldn't give him a DVD of something that wasn't quite done yet because the security people didn't want to do it. And that's when the new technology um, that we, you know, put in 
Apple at the time, Apple stuff, which was more secure and, and so on. How did that go down with the boss? How did it go down telling the boss he couldn't see some of his product, Mark? Yeah, it wasn't... Uh, <laughs> Don't go there. I mean, you, know, you can see his point. He was paying for it. But in any case, he also saw the big picture that he wanted to keep everything safe. But look, I think that all of these things are going to... We're going to test it and find out. Some things will lend themselves to day and date programming. Um, big animated properties, I don't know. You know, the great thing about animation, for example, is that every three years you have a new audience for because new kids get born and so on, for, you know, particularly for the family stuff. But if you are a, and putting out a great big animated motion picture and you can buy it day and date and stay at home and all the kids outside of the pandemic time can invite six of their friends over there goes um, you know all the sale of that so that is a really that's a really big problem and mm -hmm. so we're going to be experimenting with all of that and uh, again the technology should should help us do stuff we're always trying to keep one step ahead of the uh, the thieves that are out there mark frame two or three big watch outs for this market what are you what are your thoughts for the next 12 months plenty happening right Crikey. Great time to be in the ad market, I think, quite frankly. Um, I think firstly, uh, and nothing kind of groundbreaking with this, but I think we'll start to see um, data and decisioning truly come together. And what I mean by that is data informing a, a better targeting solution for the advertiser, making just a better advertising experience for the customer, but also data in decisioning around programming making the content experience even better. And you've got one set of data driving those two decisions. So I think that, that's the first thing I think we're gonna see a lot, lot more of because the technology now exists to do that. Um, secondly, because this is probably now starting to land on the Australian shores, you're gonna see a lot more exper experimentation, a lot more testing of what works and what doesn't. Um, we're going to invest a fair bit of that you know, ourselves, test, test different ad loads, test di different structures, and just keep dialing up the engagement metrics that we see out of that results. And once we've got that, we can take it to market. So testing would be number two. And um, thirdly, I think we're, we're finally going to start seeing some change in metrics. Uh, and I'm not going to, this is a whole other podcast talking about cross-screen measurement, but I'm more talking about just the way that our inventory has always been traded um, on, a, on a typical kind of cost per thousand. I think you're going to see um, cost per thousands with engagement added on top, with attention <clears throat> metrics added on top. And therefore, the actual, the premium that we'll be able to charge for our inventory will go up because it's providing a much better ad viewing experience. And therefore, you play that out you're going to end up running less ads in the future, creating a better content experience. And as a customer, you're going to win-win. Um, so they're, they're the three big ones that I see. Yeah, no, bang on. They're good. Uh, and finally, I just might catch your thoughts, uh, Mark Crane, on where the market's at at the moment. It's, it's, it's held up, uh, it's been quite resilient. The ad market that has been quite resilient through you know, the, the, the new wave of lockdowns we've had. Just, I'm just getting a sense now in, the, in recent weeks that uh, advertisers are showing some more caution, pulling back a bit. Even you talk to some of the creative agencies and some of the big projects have been put on hold, which is usually a signal for what's happening to media. And 
there's some pausing or just some caution going around uh, the commitments in terms of ad spend and campaigns. Are you seeing that or what's your thoughts on, on that's where the market's at right now? We're seeing it in pockets, Paul, uh, and within kind of certain categories that you'd expect. I mean, the ongoing global chip shortage for chips yeah. in cars, chips in kind of electronics is is well documented. So, but that, that's that's nothing new. That's been a eighteen month, two year trend. Um, I'll be really honest. I think for for television, things remain pretty kind of buoyant, um, and I don't really see that changing significantly in the next three to six months. One thing that has um, quite genuine, genuinely surprised me is that even outside of extended lockdowns the last few weeks, there still is a a real level of calmness and and confidence from both um, agency group CEOs and, and advertisers. I had many conversations in the last two weeks where because they they do see a plan out of this, whilst the plan might be moving a few weeks, there isn't any knee-jerk reactions to certainly what we've seen historically. So the level of calmness is, is what I is my big kind of call out. Yes, there's campaign changing um, from this week to next week or campaigns are moving from a a national footprint to a state-based footprint, but I'm not seeing kind of carte blanche cancellation. Far from it. I'm seeing a an ongoing steady as she goes, keep on spending at the moment. Good call. So uh, Mark Kane and Mark Frayne, great conversation. Really interesting uh, just to put the flesh on what's going on in these global trends and what's going to happen here. So great conversation. Thanks for joining. Stay safe. Great to chat, Bruce. This MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre. That's more. Producer Nick Slater. Music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to listener.com or download the Listener app and search MI3 Audio Edition to listen for free. Listener.